Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Friends, are you feeling stuck in the rut of routine? Artist and author Ruth Jo Simons knows there is more for you even in the mundane moments. Her new book, Beholding and Becoming, is a masterpiece of incredible artwork and encouraging teachings to direct your gaze to God's splendor and your hearts to His worship. Turn even the most ordinary moments into holy spaces of wonder. Order Beholding and Becoming wherever books are sold. Ruth was recently our Happy Hour Live guest, so if you were here, you loved her. I hope you will order a copy of her book. And if you want to hear Ruth on the Happy Hour, go back and listen to episode number 194. Guys, welcome to another Happy Hour. If you are new here, I want to say welcome. If this is your 260th episode, I want to say, goodness gracious, I'm so glad you're here every single week. You guys, we made it to the end of August. School started for us last week. I flew to LA last week to film some TV episodes of the show Better Together, and I cannot wait to tell you about it later. And we have started our football scrimmages. You guys, we are into school. Today, my guest on the happy hour is Tess Clark. In today's conversation, Tess and I talk about what it means to move towards people in their humanity. I think that you might sometimes feel that you might try to avoid conversations like this one, or you might even say, which I find myself saying sometimes, and I don't want to say it anymore, but I find myself saying sometimes, or you might find yourself saying, oh, you know what? I don't do politics. I stay away from talking about politics. But here's what I want to say is that the conversation we're having today is not a political conversation. It is a conversation about how as Jesus followers, we are invited to be a part of the ministry of presence. My hope for you today as you listen to this episode is that you will hear something that you might not have thought about before and that you'll be willing to lean in and listen to the conversation. And you will be even willing to learn from someone who may think different than you or feel different than you. I adore Tess. I love her so much. And you're gonna love her today as you listen. Her and her husband, Jason, started an organization in Dallas called Seek the Peace. Seek the Peace exists to be a community of peacemakers and advocates seeking the safety, peace, and flourishing of refugees and immigrants. Tess also leads a national advocacy group called We Welcome Refugees. On today's show, we talk about both of those organizations that she is a part of. We talk about the fact that next week, I'm actually traveling down to Mexico to see the work that they're doing. If you remember back in October of 2018, so almost a year ago, Tess was a part of a podcast called The Daily, which is a New York Times podcast that they put out. And I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. We'll link it in the show notes for you to go listen to it. But on today's show, we're talking about where did she get her passion for peacemaking? We talk about her time on The Daily. We talk about immigration and refugees and displaced people and migrants. We talk about a teen mentorship program that she has called Project Shine. 
And she really encourages us to challenge our biases that we have when we bring to the table. Also, you guys, you're not gonna believe the story that Tess shares at the end of our conversation about her engagement to marriage. You're going to love meeting Tess today. I hope that you lean in and really listen to our conversation. It's a good one, you guys. Before we get to my conversation with Tess, I wanna ask you one more time to share with me your thoughts and your opinions about the happy hour. You know I say all the time that we love making the happy hour for you, the listener. We think about you with everything that we do. Well, we wanna make sure that we're always giving you the best content and we wanna listen to what is important to you. So we need your help. Will you fill out a short survey for us? Will you go to jamieivy.com slash survey? That's jamieivy.com slash survey. I wanna thank you to the thousands of you that have already completed the survey. Seriously, it means so much to our team that you would sit down and share your feedback with us. When you complete the survey, we have a thank you gift for you. You're gonna receive an email at the end of this week with instructions on how you can join our Patreon party for the month of September for $1. We're also gonna give you a free shipping code for our happy hour shop, which we have new merchandise coming up in September. So we're always thinking of you. We wanna hear your thoughts and we wanna give you a gift. Patreon is something we talk about here often. Patreon is a community. It is a membership site where we give you more episodes every month. There are different episodes. We go back and ask questions to people that you've already heard before. It's a fun community. And so we wanna give you the opportunity to try it out for the month of September for just $1. Our normal membership is either $3 or $9. There's two different levels. And so we hope that you'll get in there and enjoy it. But we want you to see what it's about for the entire month of September. All right, my friends. Thank you for filling out the survey if you already have. If you haven't, go to jamieavy.com slash survey. Here's my conversation with my friend, Tess Clark. Hey, Tess, welcome to the happy hour. Thanks for having me. So happy that you're here. I was thinking about when we first met, and I think it was at Sparrow Conference a couple of years ago. You were doing stuff there and we met there. And since then, I have followed you and love seeing all the things you're doing. And then this past October... I'm driving in the car with my husband. I remember where we were. We were in LA. That sounds so fancy, but we were just in LA. <laughs> we were like, hey, let's listen to the daily. We listen to it almost every day of our life. And we put on the daily and I'm like, this girl's voice sounds so familiar. And then I'm just like, listen and listen. And I'm like, then I pull up the app. Like, I need to read. Like, yeah. what are they talking about? And I connected it and I was like, oh. So I'm telling <laughs> her and I'm like, I know her on the daily. So that's where you came back on my radar. So fun. That From was the daily. A, that was a really fun and hard thing to do. So which, glad you heard it. Which, by the way, you shouldn't be nervous here because you, you've done an interview <laughs> with the New York Times, so you're good to go. But how did they find you? My husband actually had been working as a deputy ambassador at the United Nations in New York. And his boss, who was the ambassador for the World Evangelical Alliance, her name's Deborah Fikes, was contacted by the New York Times. And they said, we're coming to Texas. We're following a Beto rally. Do you know any conservative evangelical women who might be voting for Beto? And Deb said, I know one, and I bet she knows some other ones. And so she gave them my number and they ended up doing an article on me and some of my girlfriends. And then from there, they said, would you do an episode with us? And is there someone in your life who you disagree with politically? Someone who has, who stays in your life, right? Not just a friend, but a family member that might talk to us. Um, because really their heart in it, at least what was communicated to me was, we want to show that there is division within families. But we want to show how you can still have a conversation and maybe 
find the humanity in each other. And I'm so passionate about peacemaking and about moving towards people with different ideas than me that I jumped at the chance. And I had that conversation with my dad, which was pretty interesting. And um, I was telling Jamie earlier, I feel a lot closer to my dad too, um, even though it was hard and we landed in completely different spaces. Yeah. Well, you did a phenomenal job on that interview. Thank you. I mean, I shared it with everyone that I saw in the next like 10 days. I was like, you have to listen to this. <laughs> so I was super proud of you. You were very articulate and you talked very highly in ideas that I think a lot of people are struggling with these days around um, politics. So good job over there, Tess, on Thank the Daily. You. Now, did you write an article for them or they interviewed you for an article and then the Daily? Yes, they interviewed me for an Got article. Okay. Yeah. Introduce yourself to my listeners and tell them all the things you do. Yes. Um, well, my name is Tess and I am a wife and a mom to three kiddos. Um, my husband and I founded an organization in Dallas called Seek the Peace, where we're working alongside refugees and immigrants just kind of day to day. And that's taken a lot of different turns over the last 11 years that we've been connected there. And then I also run a national advocacy platform that was founded by Ann Voskamp and Vicki Reddy called We Welcome Refugees. Our goal there is to really just tell stories and encourage people to, again, move towards people and their humanity and not in the things that make them different, but what makes them alike. That is so good. Okay, so this is a conversation that I'm excited to have because there is this idea that people might have that this conversation is political. And I think you would say that it's not. Yeah. But I think people would have the idea like, oh, I don't want to listen to this because I'm afraid of what she's going to say. But what I love about you so much and your organizations that you're a part of is your message is just moving close to people, like moving close to people that are different than you, moving close to people that disagree with you, all of those things, like moving closer and listen. And I think that's hard for humanity to do sometimes. So thank you for doing that. But my question for you is, you said you and your husband started this about 11 years ago. Where did that come from? When were your eyes opened up to the need? Where did even the word refugee pop into your head? Because I think that people could live their whole life, especially, you know, white, upper-class people and never have to be concerned with refugee people. How did this come to your world? Well, Jason and I were living in China before we were in Dallas. Um, We were both missionaries with the village church there. And we had an opportunity to help um, build a coffee shop there. And really the mission of the coffee shop was to employ people from the underground church who were moving into the cities and then also equip college students with, with truth, really. And that kind of forced us into meeting people who were different than us and having conversations with people who had such a different worldview than we did. And we very quickly realized living there, wait a minute, we came to be heroes and that's not (laughs) um, what we are, right? We are like co-collaborators with people living in a different context than us in a different country than us for their flourishing. And we felt like their flourishing was the truth, right? That Jesus loved them and He created them with a purpose and He had a vision for their life. And so when we came home from living in China, we were looking for that. We were going, we miss being a part of an international community. We we miss being around people who are challenging our ideas, who are challenging the way that we saw the world, that we saw blessings, that we saw prosperity, that we saw Jesus's love, because that was kind of handed down to me with a beautiful wrapped bow. And that's not what it looks like. I remember being in China and one of the people in the underground church said, so how are you persecuted for your faith in your country? You're just like, 
um, I'm not, <laughs> you know, and th- those kind of sobering moments where I was really confronted with what did it look like to really follow Jesus and across context. And so when we found out that there was a refugee community two miles from our house, um, we uh, we had that same question. What is a refugee? What does that mean? They hadn't really been, it hadn't been politicized. Right. The U.S. had been resettling refugees for years, you know, and we didn't really know anything about them. And so we went to an event that a friend of a friend was having and we were leaving that event actually. And we saw this cute little taco stand and we were with some friends of ours. We're like, oh, let's eat some fun, authentic like Mexican tacos. And we're sitting out there having this great conversation on this kind of cool breezy night. And two guys walk over to us and they look at me and they're like, give me your purse. And I'm just like kind of paralyzed. And one guy pulls a gun out and points it at my husband. We were newlyweds at the time. And he says, this is not a joke. And we were like, oh my God. You know, like kind of like, again, you're just moving. And I just, I reached in my purse, handed them some money. They left. And most people would go, I'm never coming back here again. And I think something in Jason and I, we looked at one another and we were like, we should move here. Like That's there's not the normal reaction. Here. I know. Like the normal reaction is I'm <laughs> never coming back here again. And I think that had to be the Holy Spirit because we had just left this prayer meeting, actually, that our friends were hosting with people from different countries leading us in worship and in prayer. And I'm going, they're living here and they're experiencing this. People who've come from vulnerable places who are moving into a community where they they've come from countries where they can't trust their police officers there. They don't don't trust their governments. They don't trust their neighbors. Maybe they're living next to a warring tribe. I mean, there were so many things that were happening in that room. And I wouldn't have said this then, but I can say it now looking back that I think we, our hearts were prepared to say yes. And so we broke our lease a week later. We moved into the refugee community. And that's really where things started for us. We started, we, we found out about an African pastor that was leading a church. And we just said, how can we serve you? They said, we need you to we need people to drive our congregants to church. And then we need people to watch the kids while we have service. And we were like, we can do that. I mean, we didn't have car seats. We didn't have booster seats. There were like 15 adorable babies from Africa in my car every week. Um, And that's really kind of how we got started. It was just in relationship with people, totally, completely um, blindsided by the things we were learning and seeing and experiencing and kind of birthed there. You know, it's funny that when you said a while ago that the word refugee and you said, you know, the U.S. has been placing refugees for years, it is weird that that's been happening for so long, but it is just now such a politicized topic, you know? And so it's interesting to me as I'm just thinking about like, wow, we have been serving people for all these years and now all of a sudden it is this big, big, big thing. But what I think you would say is that like your proximity to people who are refugees helps you see that through the lens of Jesus. Yes. And something my husband and I tell a lot of people, we're like, refugees are ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. They want the same things for their kids that you want. They want the same things for their families. They want to be safe. They want to flourish. They And they don't want to leave their countries. I think sometimes there's a misconception that people are like overrunning the country and they want to establish their maybe a religion here or they want to take jobs or whatever that looks like. And I think in the last 11 years, I've never never met anyone with that agenda. <laughs> I've never had I've had so many people in my house from different backgrounds and different faiths and like every time we land in this conversation of 
how we're alike. Like I just continually see that they don't love their kids any less than I love mine, that they don't want anything different. They have been faced with making unspeakable, unimaginable choices that I I would I've never even had to consider. Right. And um, I've learned so much about God and about His faithfulness and about the way He shows up for people from my Muslim friends, from my Buddhist friends. Like I see Him at work and refugees have less than a 1% chance of ever being resettled to a safe country. Less than 1%. There are 64 million displaced people in the world. And I cannot help but look at every time I'm having dinner with someone who's come from another country and go, if this is not a divine appointment, I don't know what is. If this is not what God is doing on the earth, restoring people, bringing them into His fold, into His self, He is moving towards people that have been marginalized and oppressed. Like we see Jesus doing it on earth every time. Like he's not walking by blind Bartimaeus and missing him like everyone else was doing for 30 years. He's stopping and he's seeing the person at the gate who is waiting to be seen and to be welcomed. And he's meeting a felt need and then he's meeting a spiritual need. And he said, hey, Tess, hey, Jamie, do you wanna join me in what I'm doing in healing a broken world? Cause I'm doing it. Do you want to be a part? You want to come on? Okay, let me ask you a couple of questions just as people who are listening. When you say that staggering number of 64 million displaced refugees, can you explain to us that are listening? I mean, we understand the word refugee, obviously, but what would make a person be a refugee? And when you say, do you have to put displaced refugee, do those two words have to go together? Refugees are people who have been forced to flee their homes for various reasons, whether it be a tsunami you know, we've seen that happen or religious persecution or war. And sometimes, you know, particularly religious persecution and war happening at the same time. So there are people who are face to flee. And when they cross like a border in another country, they can then apply for refugee status. And so when I say refugees and displaced people, displaced people can also be they're displaced in a different part of their country. So we're kind of lumping that number together. Gotcha. And I'm not even including the Central and South American people who we would consider like, Migrants. That's kind of how we might hear about them in the news. Um, and so I I would have to look it up and we can, what's that number maybe altogether? Has anyone done any research? But you've got it coming. You've got people coming from all yeah. sides. Yeah. Um, because of all different kinds of reasons where we would say Central and South American people are fleeing because of gang violence, because of extortion of their government, because they're... Um, economic reasons, but it's a lot more about violence in their countries and in their communities than it is about economics right now. You also do stuff with refugee girls. Yes. So tell me about that because I actually don't know what you do at all. Well, I, um, about three years ago, I felt like God just kept kind of highlighting to me all the ways that women have been devalued around the world. I've gotten to spend time in different countries. My husband and I have spent a couple months in Amman, Jordan. We've been in Beirut, Lebanon. Israel, Palestine. And I just kept coming across women who were oppressed, like in their current, you know, place. And then working with refugees in in the community where we were living. And I just kept feeling like there was just this common theme that I kept seeing, which was that women really didn't believe in themselves. And I thought, when when does this start? And I had and I started doing a lot of self-reflection for me and seeing some of those own things in myself, even from the ways of who I saw on the stage at church, 
who was reading scripture, who was leading ministry time, who was offering the sacraments, they were men. And I was like, you know, I've started to believe some of this. There were a couple moments that I could kind of go back to very distinctly when I heard a pastor say, if Jesus shows up at my door and knocks on it and my wife answers, he's gonna say hello to my wife and he's gonna say, where's your husband? And I was internalizing these things as if I was less valuable in the kingdom. And I I didn't have the language for that, but I was really content with letting my husband make decisions and tell me what we were gonna do. And um, I would come alongside him, but I didn't know that I was owning any of that vision for myself. And I started to think if I'm feeling this way as a woman with access to almost anything, how are women in vulnerable places feel? How are they internalizing what they're seeing and experiencing? And and so I just felt like I was supposed to start this program for teen girls um, who are refugees. And we're gonna talk about worth, strength, purpose, value every week through a mentor relationship. And so I think the thing that God has shown me, right, is that, Like programs are a great place to launch a relationship, but really the relationship is what we're in this for. So we've kind of, everything we've built through our nonprofit has had to have, it's a platform for a relationship. And so I ask our mentors, I say, our girls start in middle school and we're gonna go with them all the way through high school. Like you're committing. You're committing because that is what discipleship is, right? It's not that we take a girl out for coffee. It might look like that sometimes. And we talk about Jesus and how much he loves us. It's like, we live life together. Like you're at my house when all my kids are melting down and you're helping me give them a bath. And you know, whatever the context is for our life, we can invite people into that and into those places with us and live life together. And so- Project Shine is the name of the program. And we have 18 girls um, in the program this year and 18 mentors who have said, I'm gonna walk with this girl. I'm gonna show up for her. I'm gonna go to her performances. I'm gonna check in when she has tests. I'm gonna come to Shine every Monday night. We're gonna talk about hard things and we're gonna go on this journey together for her flourishing, but also for mine. And I have a really good friend who just graduated from law school and I'm so proud of her. And she's starting this internship and she um, used to lead a a company where they were employing women in Africa. And she's like, Tess, I grew up in the church. I um, led this company. I've been to Uganda several times, she said, and I have never experienced Jesus the way that I have through the relationship with my my girl, my mm-hmm. mentee, who's from the Congo and her six brothers and sisters and all of the ways that God's asked me to show up for their family. And she's like, thank you for creating this space. Wow. And that was just, I don't need anyone to ever say anything else to me again. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes being in those places kind of feels lonely. It's not glamorous. You're not getting the accolades, you know, you're like in the grind. But if about three or four weeks ago, this same mentor, her mentee called her at about nine o'clock at night. And she said, my dad beat me. Like, well, would you come over? And so her mentor's driving over. She calls me. She's like, Tess, I don't know what to do. Do I call the police? What I do? I was like, call the police. My husband's on his way over. We're, we're going to walk through this together. And so the next day I'm talking to the girl, the refugee girl. And I was like, you are so brave. Thank you for calling your mentor. And thank you for telling us what's going on. And she said, I called because I knew you would do something. And it was in that moment, and this isn't that hero moment. This is this moment where I thought, how many times has she made an outcry in her 13 years of life and nobody came? 
And that was, I, I had to sit with that. It's taken two years for her to trust me and her mentor enough to make that phone call. I have asked this girl, cause I picked up on things several times. Do you feel safe at home? Do you feel safe with your dad? Every time the answer was yes. She finally trusted us and felt free enough and knew that we were gonna show up. And that takes time. That takes time. Oh, so you've been doing it for three years, you said. Yes, Project Shine. Golly. Yeah, and in the community for 11. You know, I think this is a really interesting thing that you brought up because I feel like there's this idea that pe- when people think of like a refugee, they would think of only grown people. We're talking about displaced families yes. having to leave everything, not because they're choosing to. And then you're stepping in. That's so awesome. Yeah. And again, like I always, I, when people come through our training to serve with us, I'm like, the fact that you are in this room with this person from Africa, from Myanmar, from Syria, should never be happening. Statistically, they had a less than 1% chance of being resettled. And then what's the percentage? It's a dot, 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 dot. I see what you're saying. That you would be in the room with them drinking tea and invited into their life. Like there is something so divine happening in this moment and we cannot miss that. We cannot miss the ways that God is redeeming things. God's like intention was not for them to have to leave their home and to flee and to leave everything behind. I have met women who had to choose what children they were going to bring because they could only bring what they could carry. I have three children. How do you make that decision? And then the fact that we're now sitting in the same room it's just, it's really mind-blowing, It's mind-blowing. It's Every mind-blowing. time I talk about it, I'm like moved to, um, I almost have a visceral reaction yeah. to it because yeah. it's it's so incredible. And I'm still going back to the fact that this whole thing started when you were held up at gunpoint for your purse, Tess. <laughs> <laughs> like, keep going back to that. That is also God's, like, working in the craziest circumstances to get you and your husband to that prayer meeting. And then for you to say, I think yeah. we need to we need to plant our lives here. You know, God, like, God's provision, I think sometimes when you're, particularly when you're walking with people in poverty who are marginalized and oppressed, you see it so differently. Um, we were recently with a group of women in Oaxaca, Mexico, meeting with um, migrants, particularly women who were migrating from Honduras and um, Venezuela and getting to hear some of their stories, which is a privilege in itself that anyone would share a part of something very traumatic with you. Um, and one of the women said that her and her family had been walking for two days and they were picked up by Mexican police officers. And she said, that was God's provision for my family because we hadn't eaten. You know, you don't think about being picked up by police officers as provision, but she said we were fed and then we were brought to this shelter where we're now able to work and we're starting to save money to start our journey again. And I think that that's the thing I just keep seeing God in in these spaces are the ways that he's keeping his promises and that people who don't aren't forced into these situations, we don't sometimes see God in that, those places, because we're not suffering. Mm-hmm. Is the trip that you just took, is that the same type of trip that I'm going to be on? Yes. So excited. Jamie is coming with us. We're going to El Paso. Okay. Um, but very similar. Um, one of the things that I've gotten to do is um, take women along with World Relief and um, the National Immigration Forum to meet migrants, to hear their stories and really to bear witness. Because I think a lot of what's happening in 
you girls listening to this will totally resonate. What can I believe? Like, what is going on? And so one of the things we're doing is bringing women like Jamie, women that you can trust, like Latasha Morrison came with us and Heather McFadden and saying, you come, you see, you bear witness and you go back and you tell the stories. Um, and we were recently in McAllen on the border in Texas back in August. And so I know we'll all remember when families were being separated and then the executive order was signed in June that we wouldn't separate families anymore. And I know a lot of people were very happy to hear that. And we were there in August, but families were still experiencing separation. They were trying to find one another. Lots There was lots of chaos going on. And um, I got to sit down with a woman named Juana and hear her story. Um, in McAllen. And it was just one of these moments where um, I had to listen longer than felt comfortable, or I had to immerse with her in that moment and where I had to really pray that um, God would be with me because her story was so hard. And I'm, I'm going, I want to be here with her and not start crying my yeah. eyes out, mm-hmm. right? Because I want to I want to be with her and I don't want to make this about necessarily you don't want to become uncomfortable me that I can't and my handle it. Yeah. And yeah, I can't handle what she's hearing. And so I'm sitting there and I definitely felt like God met me in that place. And she, she was telling me, um, she said, I came to the United States with my family when I was 14. And she was um, 28 when I met her, I believe. And she said, so I've lived here for 14 years. I got married. I had two kids. I'm an undocumented immigrant, so is my husband. And in the community where I lived, there were a lot of undocumented immigrants and it was raided by immigration or ICE, you know. Um, I guess this was about a year ago. And she said, I was taken, my daughters were there and I was deported back to Guatemala. And so um, she's like, that's so hard. I hadn't been to Guatemala since I was a teenager. And my daughters are in the United States. They're citizens. There's this huge kind of chasm and divide happening. And then she gets a call from her husband. It says, "Our their older daughter, who was in second grade at the time, tried to kill herself. And um, I'll get emotional thinking about it. And she said, and I just, I picked up and I said, I have to go. Like, I, there is no legal way for me to get into the United States. There is no legal way because I've been deported. So the only thing I could do was try to cross illegally. And I knew I would probably get caught, but what I couldn't live with was my daughter thinking I did not come for her. And I got to look at her and just like say, Juana, you're a really good mom. You're like, I put her face in my hands and we weren't, we were told not to touch any of the women. So then I was kicked out of the ICE facility and that's okay. That was my eight wing (laughs) coming out. But I... And I felt like in that moment, like I could not change what had happened to her. I couldn't reunite her with her family. I couldn't keep her from being deported, but I could remove her aloneness because that's where I felt like, like she felt. She, you could see that she felt guilt and shame and to say like, you're a really good mom and affirm that in her and what I saw in her, like an amazing mom. And you sacrificed everything and risked everything so your daughter would know you came for her. Like I saw Christ in that story. Like I saw like the rescue story and the ways that he came for us in that moment and what a gift she'd given me. By sharing that with me um, and in really just feeling like Jesus is like, you have the ministry of presence. If you are a warm body, you can be a part of that 
ministry, like sitting next to people in their brokenness and listening. I couldn't be a hero, like as much as I wanted to, I couldn't. And I didn't even have a chance to get her information because I was thrown out. And I even think that's a significant part of the story because in my head, when I'm hearing it, I'm like, I'm going to get her number. I'm going to find out where her family is. I'm going to try to help her get a lawyer. And like, Jesus didn't even allow any of those things to happen. And I don't know why, but um, in that moment I had to go. And it was just like, um, recently at a conference I was at, um, Jada Edwards spoke and she told this story about a movie she watched about this father looking for his son. His son was addicted to drugs and he finally finds his son and his son's laying on this dirty mattress. And the father comes behind him, wraps him in his arms and gets on the dirty mattress with him. And I don't know what movie that is. I need to find I out. I don't either, but I remember but her I telling the story. Yeah. seeing that image when I think about the ministry of presence. It's getting on a dirty mattress with people and being there with them. Yeah. And we all are equipped for that. Yeah. And that's the that's the gospel message. You know, it really is. And I think that what you're doing with um talking about these stories and the women that you meet and and bringing people down to see, you know, because I feel like also this can be so politicized that it doesn't become about humanity. It doesn't become about real people. And so I'm I'm like so honored that I'm going to be with you. I was just telling Aaron this morning, I was telling him who I was interviewing today and I was telling him about you and I was like, that's where I'm go. I'm going on this trip. Remember I told you about it. And he said, I cannot wait to hear what you're going to see. You know, just because I think it it changes everything about yeah. your idea, your ideology when you see what you see. You can't change, you can't undo what you see. You can't, you can't, un, you can't unsee it. And I think something that Latasha Morrison said on our trip to Oaxaca, we met an 11 year old girl named Wendy who was, holding a seven-day-old baby that she had birthed in the children's shelter in Oaxaca. And Tasha said, 11-year-olds don't choose that. She goes, and I don't want to unsee that because I I need to carry that with me and I have to continue to think about that. And, um, and then what do I, what do I do with that? And so these are the things that we can't unsee. We don't want to unsee them, but then we're responsible to do something with it. And I think that's where a lot of my like advocacy work has come in is that I am now responsible because I hold these stories. I know these people. In 2016, when the travel ban came came down, my husband and I were at the airport trying to figure out what was going on and trying to understand how do we advocate for people because our brothers and sisters are scared. My friends who wear a hijab were scared. My friend called me. She's from Iraq. She said, Tess, can I go to Target? Like, I'm scared. People don't want me here. And that's a real fear for her. And so it's those times and in those moments where we have to be activated as in the human story, like this was not about Republicans and Democrats and President Trump and, or anything for me. This was about Gazwan and Huda, who my husband and I met when we were in Amman, Jordan, living there for the summer. My husband was studying Arabic. It was, we were there during Ramadan. It was so hot. 
and they're the only people who befriended us. I thought I was going to have so many Jordanian friends and they were all going to love me, but that's not what happened. Yeah. Just Gazwan and Huda <laughs> had me over during Ramadan and we got to meet them and we went over several times and they ended up asking us, they said, would we have been approved to come to the United States, but we need a sponsor. Would you sponsor us? And all that meant was answering a phone, setting up an apartment, picking them up from the airport. It didn't really cost us much. We were like, sure, we would love to. And so six months later, they've they were refugees in Jordan from Iraq. Then they moved to the United States about 10 minutes from us. And that was three and a half years ago now. Um, and it's just been a phenomenal like experience to be friends with them and to walk with them and learn from them. And she's now calling me in this country that we helped sponsor her to come to, and she's scared to go outside. And so I feel a responsibility to her to advocate for her humanity because she might not get a seat at that table. I mean, one of our principles with the advocacy work we do through our nonprofit is pass the mic. Like as much as we can, I want Huda to tell her story. I want Gazwan to tell her story, but she won't always get to, right? She's not a voter. So maybe a congressman in Texas at the Capitol isn't really concerned with meeting with her, but yeah. he'll meet with me uh-huh. because I'm a voter. Yeah, And I wanna know how he's gonna welcome people to our country who are fleeing wars that we were a part of. Right. We have to sit in that. Yeah, yeah. And you get to be the voice for her. Yeah. Okay, friends, I know you're loving this show, but let me first thank our sponsors who make today's podcast possible. Today's show is brought to you by Third Love. With more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes, Third Love designs bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. I've been wearing Third Love bras for over three years, and I continue to be surprised by how comfortable the fit is. The straps don't slip, there's no itchy tag label, and it's made of lightweight, super thin memory foam cups that are super comfortable. You guys, it's the perfect bra. I regularly forget that I even have it on. It is that comfortable. Third Love is hands down the most comfortable bra that you will ever own. Best of all, every customer has 60 days to wear it and wash it and put it to the test. And my friends, if you don't love it, you can return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering all of my happy hour listeners and that is you. They're offering you 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Jamie right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Jamie, J-A-M-I-E for 15% off today. Today's show is also brought to you by Panama City Beach. Are you dreaming of a beach vacation right now? I think I'm always dreaming of a beach vacation, my friends. Start planning your escape to Panama City Beach, Florida. Imagine spending your days doing the things that you love, all in a setting of sugar white beaches and turquoise water. Discover endless family fun, heart-pounding thrills, eco-adventure, and romance. Make it memorable. Get up close to dolphins in their natural habitat on a boat tour. Give paddleboarding a try or just lounge under an umbrella. There's so much fun, it'll make your family's head spin. Or make it exhilarating, you guys. Find your thrills flying on jet skis, kayaking at sunset, or snorkeling in turquoise waters. It's everything an adrenaline junkie lives for. Make it incredible. Bike along the beach, take an airboat tour, or explore the secluded beauty of two state parks. Panama City Beach offers one eco-adventure after another. 
Make it special with a romantic getaway. Relax and reconnect with your favorite boo. (laughs) With Dining on the Beach, breathtaking sunsets, and enough live music to dance the night away. So make it yours, you guys. Make it Panama City Beach, your real fun beach. Plan your escape now at visitpanamacitybeach.com. Okay, here's the rest of my conversation with my friend, Tess Clark. You were telling me earlier today about how you had an interesting interaction with a man on an airplane. And you started telling me the story and I was like, stop, 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 stop. Don't (laughs) tell me. I want to hear the whole thing in real time with my listeners. So back up and tell me and everyone that's listening about this story because it's so good. Yes. Um, So I was um, flying home from New York. I'm sitting next to this guy who's just like devouring this huge stack of papers. And I'm going, who is this person? I've got to know who he is. So I strike up a casual conversation and I end up finding out that he's in politics. He's working on the new Green Deal. He's um, working for Bernie Sanders and his presidential campaign. And we start just chatting. And I said, you know, I'm, I do some like, I don't want to even say political work, but part of what I'm doing is talking to evangelical women about immigration, about the human side of the story. And I'm inviting them into that experience. And he he just goes, hold on. I don't know any evangelicals, but what you're telling me is that you are an evangelical. And I was like, yes. And he goes, and you guys are not a homogenous group of people. You're not all, you know, seeing the world one way. You're not anti immigrant and or anti-refugee. And I was just like, no. And it was in that moment that sometimes I forget I'm in these circles where we're nuancing a lot of these conversations where I'm getting the opportunity to nuance them with my girlfriends or with, you know, my in-laws or whoever it might be. And this guy I'm sitting next to is going, I don't know an evangelical. I mean, he's on the left of the left, left, right? And we end up finding this common place where he just, and he said, would you talk to Bernie's campaign about this. Like, how do we nuance this conversation where people will listen? And that was just like, kind of, again, one of those moments where I'm thinking, hey, the power that we hold, right? In story and in conversation, but then even him walking away with maybe a different view of Christ followers. And that that meant a lot that I got to maybe kind of paint another brushstroke in that story for him too. And I think that's just, I mean, I love that story so much because I wish I could have seen his reaction like, wait, what, excuse me? Did you mention immigration and refugees? Uh, but I, what I love about that is that the way that you are right now, Tess, and the way that you got to where you are is because you just leaned in and listened. And you talked about that ministry of presence. Like you just said, I can't get this mom back to her daughter. I can't solve these problems. I can't get them back to their home country that's being ravaged by war and famine. I can't do any of those things, but I can sit and listen. And it changes your entire life. And I was talking to a friend and the other day and she was like, so what you're saying with the ministry presence is like, I could just, I can go do that with my neighbors. And I'm like, yes, you can. But I think God has something for us outside of our context too, outside of where we're comfortable. Um, If everyone in your Facebook feed and in your phone looks like you, they have access to the same resources as you, they think like you, like that's participating in the kingdom. But when Jesus prays, like thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like 
I'm looking for where is heaven not? Where are people hungry? Let's go and feed them because that's bringing heaven to earth. Where are girls devalued? Let's go and affirm their value because that's bringing heaven to earth. And so honestly, in my immediate friend group, those things are not happening. We're all living really great lives. We have what we need. Our kids are safe. Our families are full on dinner. And not that there are not real needs in those communities, But I think that part of bringing the kingdom to earth is going outside of those places. Jesus literally left heaven. I think about this a lot. The most comfortable place he could ever be, right? Where he's ruling and reigning and and, in all of the glory. And he left it and entered earth into the center of our broken reality. And he contended for us to death on a cross. He was literally the victim of state-sanctioned violence. Like he came and he walked the earth and he saw the oppressive systems and he flipped them on their heads. So when you hear people say, do you wanna be a part of the upside down kingdom? It's the kingdom that looks like the first being or the last being first. Like this is the invitation that he's left for his people. And he's like, and guess what I have for you there? I have life for you. In Isaiah 58, these people are pursuing the Lord. They're praying, they're covering their heads, they're fasting. And they're like, why don't you hear our prayers? And he's like, because you're oppressing people, you're exploiting people and stop doing that. Doesn't he even say like your songs, they hurt my ears or something? Yes. Yeah. He's like, hey, don't do that. This is this is the fast I have for you. Release the yoke of oppression. Like that is within your power. And he's like, feed the hungry, clothe the unclothed, you know, be with the needy. He's like going, and guess what? When you do that, I'm gonna hear your prayers. I Your healing is gonna come. Your light is gonna break forth. And I'm gonna call you repair of the streets. I'm gonna call you that. I'm gonna do all of it. You're gonna partner with me and guess what? You're gonna get the healing. Your light's gonna shine forth like the dawn. Your life is going to be better. And that is the thing that I'm consistently hearing, particularly from the women who've jumped in with me and followed me into this, into the refugee community and into Project Shine and on these trips to Mexico. I feel so honored that anyone's saying yes to any of this is they're coming on out or in the midst of it, really, not on the other side of it. And they're going, I feel privilege to be here. I feel blessed. And sometimes that it feels so overwhelming to enter into a space where we might be uncomfortable or scared or we don't know. I mean, I know sometimes I'm like, I'm not going to say the right thing or do the right thing anytime I'm entering into a new conversation. I mean, I honestly, my world has been turned upside down, learning more about what happened to indigenous people. When the people who founded our country came. Like, I'm trying to lean in and learn from that. Like, we don't share a collective history with people of color and with indigenous people. We have a version of history that's been told to us from the winner. Oh, I thought we all sat down together at the table (laughs) and ate together. Like, everyone was happy. Right, right. Me too. And I'm going, wait, the people who held the power told the stories. And those are the stories that I know. So I'm having to go and find a new narrative and find a new story. And that is uncomfortable. And I'm scared to talk about that with people of color because I'm like, I'm not going to say the right thing or do the right thing. And I feel like God's just continuing to remind me in all of these places and hopefully remind um, the women that I'm walking with that like, he's not asking me to do it perfectly. And really a lot of the times he's not even asking me to say anything. He's asking me to listen. Uh I have felt kind of what you are talking about with your friends that that you're living with life with in your community that is filled with a lot of refugees. 
is when I was spending some time in our county jail. This is a population that this would be a whole nother podcast about our criminal justice system in the world. It's like crazy. But I felt kind of what you're talking about when I would go in and sit down with the girls of just like, it's entering into a space that is a little bit uncomfortable for me. I don't understand. I don't know. But I have felt so, like you talk about like seeing Jesus so much in all these situations. Those are some of my greatest times that I witnessed God's love was in the midst of something that was different than me. It felt uncomfortable. I sometimes didn't know what to say, but it was putting myself in proximity with someone that was different than me. And it changes your life. And so people are listening, if they're still here, if they if they, <laughs> if they didn't leave because they thought we were political, um, which I hate politics. So like, I'm like <laughs> the worst. Um, I don't hate politics. I just like, I just, just all the things. Um, but here's what I think some people are rethinking, Tess. They're like, yes. I mean, they're going to rewind and listen and talk to you about this conversation and listen to what you're saying and go, yes, this is exactly what I'm missing in my life. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to look for somebody. What do you tell people? Because they have to be saying that to you all the time. Yeah. Um, I I joke about if I ever wrote a book, I've been asked to a little bit and I've thought about it, like I would call it nuance because I think we're, we find a lot of like freedom in, in the nuance. And so sometimes I think sometimes we feel like, okay, I have to like jump all in or change all these things. And it's like, okay, diversify your news sources. That's something you can do tomorrow right? Go and read. That's going to make some people nervous. It, it is. It is. But go and read several different news sources. If you only read one and look at the same story, I do this now. Like what's the same story and what is the way that it's being told in different places? And you hear different things, different things leap off the page, the ways that people are described, right? And we start to challenge our own bias. And I think anytime you want to get involved in any work like this, repentance is first, right? Like we have to come and go, like, Jesus, show me my implicit bias. I have it. I want to know what it is. Because a lot of times it's just, it's not the glaring bias, right? It's the one that we don't see and we don't realize. And I know that for me, when I've come, I feel like God has started to highlight that to me in different scenarios and different situations. Like, why do I feel this way when I see a person who looks like this walking towards me? Because I have implicit bias and I have to acknowledge that and I have to repent of that. Don't you think you could even like, if you're a majority culture, you could go almost your whole life and never even know you had a bias because it's just quote unquote norm, right? What? Yes. That's when, why you're saying you have to ask God to show you. Yeah, 100%. It's like, Jesus, you That's are a hard a prayer. sight healer then and you're a sight healer now. Show me where I am missing this. Show me where I don't see people as equally valuable as I see myself. I mean, that's really what bias is, right? right? It's that I don't, I am not assigning you as much worth as I assign myself or people who look like me or think like me. I am feeling a little bit better than you. And I have had, and I still have those things, those thoughts and feelings all the time. I mean, my younger son is adopted through foster care and his mom has had a lot of things happen in her life and she was domestically trafficked and she has had um, just a really hard story. And I have to really lean into that because I can somehow start to think I'm superior to her. That, well, I am a better mom than her. There have been things that she has said to me that have really offended me. And I instantly go to, well, I'm, you know, like I'll, I'll cast it off because she doesn't hold as much value as I do. 
And I mean, that's just genuinely like when I have to get on my face (laughs) because I'm like, oh my gosh, like part of moving towards people who are oppressed and marginalized is seeing that in yourself, seeing the poverty in yourself and in your heart. And like Jesus is the one who will show you that. And I believe that. So like repent, ask God to show you where you're, you hold bias, diversify your news sources, go to a neighborhood you don't normally go to, go shop at a grocery store where you know there are more diverse people there. Strike up a conversation. Find a nonprofit in your community who's doing maybe an event that you can just go and check out. Like people are already doing it. You don't have to start a nonprofit. You don't have to start a blog. You don't have, you know, there are already people who are doing those things. You can just partner with them and join them. I would say look for something relationship-based and not just service where I'm handing you, not transactional, right? That's not what we want. We want relationship and um and you don't have to go and save the world. Um, sometimes it looks like when you hear things happening on the news or you're wondering what's going on or you have a question, calling your congressman or senator. They represent you. Hey, can you tell me what you're doing or the ways that you're moving towards people who are being marginalized? How are you guys seeing the issues that are happening at the border? Sometimes I think if you voted for that person, you've got even more weight, right? Hey, I voted for you. I am rooting for you let's say Ted Cruz, can you tell me the human policies that are being implemented at our border? Because I see a humanitarian crisis and we're meeting it with a military might when it seems like maybe we should have a more humanitarian approach. How are we doing that? How can I help? You have a voice. You have a voice. So what what am I going to be like when I come back in September? <laughs> am I going to be calling my congressman on the way home? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's it's a phone call. My, one of my friends um, is here on temporary protective status, so T, TPS. She was brought to the country with her family from Venezuela when she was two years old. She doesn't remember being there. She doesn't, her dad's a doctor, but her whole family's future hangs in the balance of what's going to happen with people with TPS. Are we going to get to TPS before? Yeah. It's temporary protective status. So they came, they have permission to be here. They can start businesses. They can go to school. Um, Similar to DACA a little bit. This is assigned to families. Uh Um, So not just children of immigrants, but the whole whole family. family. But if TPS gets revoked, will I be sent back? And she's been here since she was two. She's been here since she was two. And so she reached out and was like, hey, can you rally some people? Um, there's some new laws coming down for TPS and we need people to make phone calls, you know? And it's like, yes, let's make phone calls. And so it looks like that too. Um, but ultimately I think the most life-giving thing would would be proximity. And again, like there is no pressure to be a hero or to change any situation. Literally the invitation is like, come and be. And I would say like, you'll be surprised what you'll learn. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised how you'll see God move in your own life. Yeah. Um, I have a friend, she she kind of jokes with Isaiah 58 a little bit, and we it, it's hard to know, but she would say, I asked her to serve with us at Project Shine, and she was like, I was in the lowest place in my life, the darkest place in my life. I was couldn't get pregnant. I had gone through every infertility treatment. I, I, was, I felt like God had abandoned me. This is all I wanted was to have a baby, and um, and I just could not see what he was doing. And so when she'll say, when Tess asked me to serve, I was like, there's no way. I have nothing to give. But I just kept feeling this tug. And I said, yes. And she jokes and she's like, and then I got pregnant. And I don't know what it was, but I think when I stopped focusing on myself and when I started entering into people's lives and into their stories, I started to become thankful. 
for what I had. I started to go, thank you, God, for warm showers. <laughs> thank you for, you know, things that people in her life weren't having. And she just like, I just started to see not only like the things that God had like, provisions in my life, but the ways that He was working in these people's lives. And maybe it's part of that Isaiah 58 promise, like your healing will come, your light will break forth. And she, you know, she jokes about it. She's like, I have a baby and she's healthy and we're happy. And I've seen God and show up for me in ways I never knew that He could or would. Yeah. yeah. I think just, I cannot stress enough the proximity thing of just ideology. It becomes different when you actually sit across the table with someone. I mean, I have two examples that come to my mind is one of my grandmothers was super stressed out about us adopting black kids. Like she just couldn't imagine having black kids in our family. That hurt me, but you know, she's like two people removed and she's not a part of my life. But I just thought, well, that really stinks for her, right? That she has all this hatred that she didn't, that she's really concerned. Um, Before she died, I mean, she loved my kids. And it was as if like that, it changed for her when she had a relationship with someone that looked different than her. We have a friend that helps us out at Green Acres. Like I was telling you about uh, the Green Acres is the glamping retreat center that we own. And she told me her story one time and she is here under DACA. And just the, the fear and concern that she has for her future, everything changed when I heard her story. Um, it became not just something I would read about, but it became her face, you know, and it became her. And so we could we could fill in the blank with any situation that might be different than you, whether that's sexual orientation or religion or career, whatever, fill in the blank. And everything kind of, it becomes more humanitarian when you have a person. Yes, and that's the amazing thing is we don't have to meet every immigrant or every refugee or every domestically trafficked woman, like we can know one and we can be informed, right? Of, of the story, we start to see people differently. Um, my husband and I knew when we very first moved into the refugee community, we met this family. The oldest son's name was Daniel. He's He was 12. And they we became really close to the family and they ended up moving to Lubbock. And refugees, a lot of times are transient. So their phone numbers change. And it's just, there's the stability's not there like we have. And so we lost touch with the family. So it's kind of before Facebook, I guess. And so I'm sitting in our office one day a couple years ago and this like grown man walks in. And it was Daniel and he was 17 and he was where our office um, was was like kind of in the center of this refugee complex. And so people would always walk in thinking it was the leasing center. So it was just kind of like a God thing. So he walks in looking for an apartment. And I'm like, would you take your hood off your head? <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, and he did. And I was like, Daniel. I mean, he just, he was, you know, a grown up 12 year old. And over, we, Daniel was looking for an apartment. I called Jason. I was like, I feel like we're supposed to let Daniel move in with us. He's back. He's like, Tess, we have not seen this kid in five years. Like, we don't know what he's been through. We don't know what's happened. I'm like, it doesn't matter. He's coming. He's coming home with me. So he comes home with me. <laughs> um, and that's how things work in our house a lot. And he starts telling us a story. And he was literally fleeing a gang. Like, he had gotten involved in a gang. He was running away. And all the implications that were coming with that. And I was like, I don't need to know any other gang member, because I know Daniel and his story informed me of why he ever got involved, which was he dropped out of high school. He was working at McDonald's 40 hours a week. He was the oldest boy in his family. He's responsible for taking care of his mom and all his sisters. He's like, you know what? I was not making enough money to pay our bills. This guy next to me flipping burgers, he's selling weed. And he tells me, hey, I can help you make enough money to feed your mom and your sisters. So he, he got involved in the gang. Like there is just 
I just operate in the belief, like, I just don't know that anyone is just like birthed into this place where they're like, I want to go kill and still and sell it changes the narrative and ruin in your people's head. lives. Yeah. yeah. It's like there, there are things that have happened along the way for these, for someone who is in this position um, that, yeah, when you see that, it just changes everything. Yeah. It's like when you meet a woman in the jail and she has been prostituting. Like you really, no one writes in their third grade folder, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. It's just, that's not a choice. And so we talk about that a lot about, well, I'm sure you've seen this a lot about what, was it really a choice? You know, because there are so many other things that we could talk about for three hours of what led Daniel to be there. Um, Tess, thank you for sharing all that. It is my prayer. uh, You asked me before, like, what do I hope for women from this? I just, I hope that women just hear maybe something different that they hadn't heard before. Um, I don't think this is a conversation that's talked about a lot. I'm learning so much all the time. I mean, this is a new conversation for me within the past six years. And so I'm like this itty bitty baby, just watching you and learning and watching my friends, Tasha, and, you know, do the things that you guys are doing. And I'm just, I'm honored to be like around you in proximity to learn from you. So thank you for teaching us today. And thank you for your stories. And thank you for inviting me to come on the trip in September. I mean, yes. I'm excited for what God's going to do. Um, okay, I'm gonna flip the thing real quick. We have a few minutes. And I before I ask you what you're loving and what you're reading, this is probably the longest story ever, but I cannot leave here without understanding what happened when you were getting married. Okay. I grew up and I won't go, I'm not gonna go that far back, but I will just say like my life was, pretty easy, right? Like I had a mom and a dad and brothers and we went on vacations and I went to this private Christian school and I was like, you know, when I was the valedictorian in my high school, I went to were college you really? on a full ride. I, mean, I like, knew you were smart, I could all tell. All these things were, you're sweet. Were, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, here's a silver platter, you'll, you know, um, you'll want it. And so that, that was genuinely like how I would have described my experience. So out of college, I meet this guy like we fall in love. It kind of happens all very fast. And um, we end up in China together and we came home from China to get married. And three weeks before our wedding, um, he's like, I can't do this. Like I, like in a phone call because I was home at my parents' house having a wedding shower. Um, And I was like, what do you mean? Like, no, we're going to work this out. We can do what's going on. He was like, I just have so much anxiety. Like, I feel like something is sitting on my chest. Like, I love you. I want to marry you, but I cannot do it like this. And so this kind of like unravels this entire, like my whole world is falling apart. Even in my third, we in third grade, we had to write an obituary, which is so weird now that I think about it. And in my obituary, I was a missionary in China. I mean, he, when I, and when I met him, he was already living there. And I was like, all, everything that Jesus ever had for me is just happening, right? Coming true. Exactly. And, um, and then like my whole world came crumbling down and I was like, I had moved all my things to China. I've never been back since then. I mean, we were supposed to get married and neither neither one of us get back. I had So this, you came home to get married. We came home just to get married. And then you're going to go back. We were going to fly back. We were going to honeymoon in Thailand, fly back, go back to our lives in China. And the coffee shop that we were helping build was off the ground and running. And, and also we were like a really kind of public couple at our church because everyone knew like this missionary couple's getting married and everyone was so excited for us. And um, so it was just like, Oh my, I mean, just all everything that had happened. And I just was like, 
God, where are you? Like, I just felt so abandoned. Um, I just remember there were days I was like, I cannot get out of bed. I mean, we, I had his initials tattooed on my wrist. I mean, this is how in this I was. Can I, I mean, um, like, I know how the story ends. Yes. But I'm going to make a recommendation for all girls to not tattoo anyone's initials on your wrist until you're married. <laughs> Amen. Okay, I'm just like, <laughs> amen. Thankfully, his were JC, so I just joked. I was like, oh, it can be Jesus Christ. There that's, you go. That's yes. whose initials are on my wrist. <laughs> um, so yes, don't do that. Um, but yeah, I just, all of all of these, like just kind of everything was crumbling around me. And I, I just kind of, di- I did, I genuinely didn't know what to do. And so about, I mean, I had, I started teaching ESL at a school no, Cliff. I, the he, wedding passed. The wedding passes. The wedding day passes. We're not talking. We decided like, you go to this service at church. I'll go to this service. Like we're not, because I really couldn't handle being around him. I mean, I was so crazy in love with him and he just broke my heart. And even though I could understand why he did it, because I didn't want someone to marry me with so much anxiety. I just still was like, I can't see you. Like it was almost like we got a divorce in a way of like, these are your friends. This is your church service. This is what we're going to do. Um and so about a year and a half later, um, I get a phone call from him and he's like- And you have moved on with your life. I've moved on with my life. I was actually dating someone else. Was I the, was were like, their initials JC? They were not. See, this um, is a problem. Know, Jesus, I was like, this is for Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I'll tell you more later. Um, and I really liked this guy. And I get this phone call from Jason, who I'm married to now, who broke my heart. And um, you guys will love him later though. And he's like, uh, hey, can we have coffee? And I was like, no, I would never. I mean, you know, at this point, the last time we talked, I was in love with him. So he, he, when he tells the story, he's like, wait, I was shocked that she didn't want to have coffee with me. I mean, she was like, so you in love with me. You broke my heart. I'm like, I had to go cold, man, to survive this, right? Um, and so we, we end, I was like, no way. And so he ends up sending me flowers to work and he like for every day. What has day, he been doing for a year and a half? He was um, working as a missions pastor at the village church and um, he, he was and he was in some intense counseling. So a lot of his kind of- he So he's just doing out, his own life right now. He's doing so, his own okay. life. Where I'm doing my own life. He called, yeah, he calls me. And um, it was actually like, it, it was insane because God just started like blowing my world up. Cause I was like, God, I don't, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that he called me, but I was like, I don't want him to call me. I don't want this to be what you have you've been for so me. hurt. I'm so hurt. I'm scared. My dad threatened to shoot him if he called me again. I mean, all kinds of things. My dad's like, you know, he's out in the country. With, don't mess with my baby. Don't mess with my baby. Exactly. Um, and so I'm like, I don't even know. Just, all my friends are mad at him. I mean, I don't, nobody yes. likes him. Right? Right. No, I have no one. I'm like, I will have no one in my corner if I walk out in this. And I just felt like the Lord just kept asking me to trust him. And so... I'm like in my room one night, I was like crying. I literally did not want to like say yes to going on a date with him. The first time he called me was in August and we went on a date in October. So okay. it was a couple months past. I'm trying to work this out. And I, the rain is like pouring down. And I just felt like that voice, like the Holy Spirit just go, are you going to build this ark? And I just knew what I was being asked. Like, are you going to trust me? Do you trust me when like nothing makes sense? are you going to build this ark? And I'm like, oh, oh, maybe. And then I feel like I'm supposed to read Ezekiel 36. And I'm like, I don't even know if there is an Ezekiel 36, right? Um, so I open my Bible and literally the very, very first thing I read, it's like Ezekiel 36, 28 or something. It's like, 
um, God redeems Israel for his namesake. And it talks about how he's this land that was dry and desolate. Like he's gonna cultivate it. He's gonna restore it. And he's like, and I'm gonna do it. And everyone who sees it will know that I am God and I have done this. And I just was like, God, you are making me a promise. Like if I will trust you in this, you are going to heal me. You are going, you have healing for me. Cause I think what I started to realize too is I hadn't really healed. I had stuffed it. I had seen God in in it, right? He was with me, but like a lot of it was like, I'm just, I don't want to have to go there. I'm a nine, so we avoid. But you weren't trusting God to get you and him back together. No, I was just, yeah, like I was just going, okay. You're going to heal me. You're going to heal me. You're going to heal me. You have something for me in this. And so we went on, yeah, we went on a date in October. We got married like this a summer later, I guess. Okay, wait, time out. I have a few questions here because <laughs> you just skipped a lot of things. I know. <laughs> How when, much time do we have? When he, we don't have much, but when he, <laughs> I just cannot get over this. When he called off the wedding, yes. what did you do with your wed- wedding ring? I gave it back to him. And then when he asked you, did he ask you to marry him again? He did. Same ring, new ring. Same ring. And you're happy with that? I was happy with that. I loved the ring. I had picked it out. It was like an estate piece. It was really gorgeous. But the first, and I even think there were some very, there are just so many significant things. We could do a whole podcast about our our story and getting back together and all the things God's done in the last 11 years that we've been married and the ways that he's just restoring, right? This dry and desolate land and um, the ways I'm having to really trust Jason and God. And um, But he, um, the first time he proposed, it was like with all of our friends at this really fancy hotel in Dallas. There was all this champagne, you know, and it was just this really kind of like all of these people involved moment. And then the second time we were like in this really intimate restaurant and the back room of it is like covered in these tree branches. And when I walked in, there were like little notes hanging on all the branches all the way around the room. So I was like reading them all the way. And when I got to the end, he was like on his knee with the ring. And the significance for him with proposing with the same ring was like that I am presenting this to you and I will never, I will never leave you. Like this ring represents like what was broken and what's whole now. And so. I love it. You yeah. got tears coming to my Aww. eyes over here. That's so great. Yeah. Um, JC worked out just great. It did. I still, <laughs> I started getting it removed, but I didn't finish because it hurt. Did and it you was really? Expensive. He had my name. He did get the name removed, but I'm like, I feel like you should do it again because. Y'all both had your <laughs> names did. tattooed. We got him the first time we got engaged. Isn't that crazy? Um, but yeah, I am like, this is a whole nother subject and I'm so happy that you guys are married, but, um, I always, am like, engagement does not equal marriage. It just no. really doesn't. No. I was engaged before I married my husband, not to him, to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and so I'm glad I don't have his name tattooed on me. Yes. This is really the moral of the story. <laughs> well, I do, do have not. Aaron's name tattooed on me now, <laughs> Until but we have been married for like 15 years. Yeah, there's some like, my husband's like, if you can make it past year seven, then <laughs> get, get a tattoo. A tattoo. <laughs> yeah. It even felt weird getting Aaron's name. Not that I think, oh, one day I'm not going to want it. It just felt weird to tattoo someone's name on my arm. I love it You're branded now. I know I'm branded with Aaron Ivy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. Um, Well, I love that story. And we could probably have you come back and talk about marriage. Yes, Um, I would love to. Because marriage is a whole thing, you know. A whole thing. It's a whole thing. And you guys working together and all this stuff. So, yeah. Well, congratulations on 11 years. 11 years you've been married? Yes, almost. June. June will be 11 years. So you guys started your organization. We, I mean, we hadn't been married for two seconds. I mean, the night we got robbed, I had all the gift cards and checks from our wedding in my purse. That's why I didn't just hand it over. 
I mean. Oh, so you pulled out. Oh, you like, said I had that. Some cash. You said you pulled out some, some cash. cash from our wedding. I mean, that's how fresh we were. Yeah. Um, from our honeymoon. <laughs> we had been home like two days. That is so crazy. <laughs> okay, Tess, before we go, I always ask people, three things you're loving and what are you reading? Three things I'm loving. I love, there's this perfume oil by this these guys that started, it's called Lalabo. Lalabo. Lalabo, L-E-L-A-B-O. Okay. And the one that I love is called Santal 33, but they have lots of different scents. Um, but every time I wear it, I get stopped. I mean, people literally will stop me in the street. What do you have on? And it's such a splurge and it comes in this little oil and I just put a tiny bit on. Um, but I just, it's something that makes me feel kind of special, you know? And so I love their oil. Um, you said perfume oil. Yeah, it's, it comes in a little like dropper and you put it on, it's like an oil you rub into your skin versus like spraying it. They okay. do have a spray, but I like the oil. Okay. Um, and then I love to send people cards and there's a group called Bando. It's all in all caps, B-A-N period D-O. And they have the best cards. I sent a friend a card the other day from them that said like, you're better than like sparkles and unicorns. Or it's like, they have one that says, you're my BFF in real life. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I love it. You're better than the sun and the moons. So you like sending handwritten cards through I the do. mail with the post with a stamp I, on it and everything. I love to do that. I have some like little snail mail cards, but I also, I actually carry a pack of stationery in my purse. Um, and so that way, if I'm anywhere and I feel moved to write someone a letter, I can do that. And so like, sometimes I'll be at church and worship and I'll feel like God wants me to write something for someone. And so I'll have that paper with me and be able to pass a note. And I don't know, it makes me feel very high school again too. Passing notes is so that. fun. <laughs> sometimes when I travel, I'll carry some stuff with me just in case I want to leave a note to the person putting on the event. But I love having it with me all the time. Yes. It's a great little You said way a lot to... of amazing things in this past hour. <laughs> and that's one of the, my favorite five. So that's, yes. I need that in my life. Brighten yeah. someone's day, yes. you know, it's, it's really fun. Um, and then this is just a total personal one, but I, we, one of the ways that we empower people through our nonprofit is we make candles. And so I love our candles and I'm definitely biased towards them, but my husband and I spent so much time curating the scents, so they're all my favorite. So, I mean, I don't smell a candle I like more than a candle from Seek the Peace and refugee women make them. And so that's even um, a more, like a better reason to love them. The first time I met you a handful of years ago, I brought home three or four and I have to agree with you. They smell very nice. Thank you. So I love those. Um, And what am I reading? Okay, I'm sure I'm like so many of you, we've got like a, nightstand with a bunch of books. Um, so I'm reading The Very Good Gospel by Alicia Sharon Harper for the second time, because I feel like every time I read it, God highlights new things. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, this is so good. Um, my friend, Michelle Warren, wrote a book called The Power of Proximity. Um, she's phenomenal. She's on the trips with us. You'll get to meet her, Jamie, when oh, you yay. come with us to El Paso. And that book will transform your life and give you ways to see the world that you didn't know. Okay, I'm going to read the book before the trip. Yes, please read that. And then I have some other friends. I love to read books my friends wrote. Um, named, uh, Jer Swigart and John Huckins, they wrote a book called Mending the Divides. And a lot of the peacemaking practices and principles I've implemented into my own life, I've learned from them. They've really taken all of these verses in the Bible about peacemaking and the ways that Jesus talks about peace and bringing peace to earth. And they've made a really practical guide for how to enter into that. And I love that book so much. Um, Tess, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for your voice that you have right now that you're using uh, for the gospel um, to bring people into the ministry of presence. Um, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the work that you're doing. I'm glad you came on the show. Uh, I think as I'm sitting here, 
there are a lot of people that listen. And I think I just want, I just want the women listening to understand that different isn't bad and that different doesn't have to be scary. And to be able to form their own ideas and opinions about things and people by meeting those people instead of what the media might tell us. And so thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Guys, today's show is also brought to you by ThreadUp. Now, what you need to know is that ThreadUp is not your typical thrift store. Shop all your favorite brands for up to 90% off estimated retail price right from home. Plus, when you go to threadup.com slash Jamie, you can get up to 50% off your first order. Guys, do the math. That's a lot of percentage off. Threadup.com slash Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, for up to 50% off select items. Terms apply. You guys, I cannot believe that story of Tess and Jason and their engagement from breakup to re-engagement to marriage to newlyweds robbed of the taco truck and then moving to that same community to be a part of what God was doing there. I love Tess sharing her story with us and in kindness, educating myself and you about the communities of refugees and immigrants that are present in our communities. I hope you follow along with my trip next week as I go to El Paso with Tess. Uh, and that together we'll see that God has something for us outside of our context. Make sure you're following my Instagram so you can see that it's at Jamie Ivy. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slackers and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is my friend Kat Armstrong. You might remember Kat from forever ago if you've been listening for a while. She was guest number 81 back in March of 2016. She's back with me next week to talk about her book, No More Holding Back, emboldening women to move past barriers, see their worth, and serve God everywhere. I read this book and had my pen out the whole time taking notes. Join me next week to get fired up to be women who are serving God everywhere. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you guys next week with my friend Kat Armstrong. Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.